You are listening to Real Life and Other Fantasies, a podcast by engaging storytellers for engaged story listeners. Here's your host, author and journalist, Melvin E. Edwards. Hello, fellow storytellers, and welcome to this edition of Real Life and Other Fantasies. Our show this week features highlights of the recent Story Fest in Wimberley, Texas, where I acted as the master of ceremonies for the main event of the weekend. I introduced the traditional storytellers on the final day of activities, and I also interviewed some of the other guests throughout the three-day festival. Since the theme was Story in All Its Forms, the festival spotlighted singer-songwriters, filmmakers, traditional storytellers, and campfire songs. I recorded most of the events and have edited them to a manageable size for you. Because this was a live event, the audio quality may be influenced by the passersby and the venues. I hope you will enjoy the various stories and make plans to come to beautiful Wembley for the next event. Here are some of the samples of what I was able to enjoy and experience over the course of the three days of Wembley Story Fest. Good afternoon, story fans. How are you all doing? So first, I, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to admit that I'm a little bit nervous. But I, I can remember my college communications professor who used to advise us to imagine the audience naked as a way of disarming stage fright. You probably heard that too at some point, right? Well, as we get older, that doesn't have the same appeal. So... <laughs> I decided I would imagine a big buffalo head wearing a cowboy hat. Oh, there it is right there. All right, so it's also why I'm wearing a cowboy hat on my big head right now. So if you get nervous listening to me, just focus on the hat. It's better for you than trying to imagine me naked. Welcome to the 2023 Wimberley Story Fest. This portion of the festivities includes a portion of... of a program of stories, stories about courage, family, UFOs, bootleggers, clairvoyance, divine intervention, and the vortex phenomenon. Uh, my name is Melvin E. Edwards, and if you're a man who grew up with the same first name as your dad, you know the significance of the E. If George W. Bush were here, he would tell you. When you grow up with the same name as your dad, you spend your whole life trying to distinguish yourself from him. All the juniors in town this weekend know what I'm saying. So I'm pleased to have the chance to be the master of ceremonies for this portion of StoryFest. I'm the host of a podcast that features great storytellers telling great stories every week. I'm also an author, so I'm used to telling my stories in written form, as I did in my two books. Um, the first book is called The Eyes of Texans, From Slavery to the Texas Capitol. And they're actually right over there. The second book is The Strength of a Thousand Sons, more stories from my Texas family. Stories are a community's common bond. Sometimes within a family, they're the only way we're able to maintain that sense of family. That's what I learned during my extensive family research. I spent over 30 years doing genealogy research because, or before I could write my books because there just wasn't that much that was documented. During slavery, there were no government documents, deeds, or wills that would have been honored in any courtroom. The only way I was ever able to eventually gather the data I needed was to just hold on to the family stories I'd heard since childhood and eventually wait for technology to catch up. 
having electronic records on the internet is where I was finally able to confirm or deny, as the case may have been, many of the family stories. In my books, I trace how my first generation of Texans was brought here in the 1840s. And the stories follow a direct path of each generation that led to me becoming a speechwriter for the governor of Texas. That's the slavery to the Texas Capitol subtitle of my book. The idea is triumphant. The reality is a little more complicated than that. There was the victory of my great-great-great-grandfather leaving slavery with a blacksmithing business that afforded him the opportunity to buy some property in the 1860s. Being a property-owning adult male allowed him to vote 100 years before the Voting Rights Act. The county voting law then allowed me, five generations later, to find him during my research. Without that single voting roll, which showed that he had lived in Texas since 1844, I wouldn't have known he was here until 1870. That's because 1870 was when the U.S. Census finally began listing former enslaved Americans by their legal names. Before then, they didn't have legal names because they didn't have any legal rights. Now, that's one of the stories I can prove. And because of that, I was admitted as one of the first black members of the Sons of the Republic of Texas. I carry around this card, it's my membership card, in honor of my great-great-great-grandfather, Isaac Bladen of Leon County, Texas. Without this single voting record, the earliest proof I had of Isaac's life in Texas was in 1870. That's a quarter century after the Republic of Texas stopped being a republic. No proof, no membership in the Sons of the Republic of Texas. If I didn't have that membership, my story wouldn't have the same impact. It wouldn't be any less real, though. It would just be less quantifiable. Now, not all the stories, the family stories I heard were as easy to prove. In fact, some were impossible. When I started my podcast this year, I decided to call it Real Life and Other Fantasies because of a lesson I learned during my genealogy research. I discovered that there are some stories that people cling to tightly that can be proven to be false. I also learned that some of those same fantasies are the truest part of real life for some people. We cling to stories because sometimes those stories are our only connection to the past. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's why we're here today. We're gonna listen to some storytellers share their tales, and I'll leave it up to them to acknowledge if those tales are tall, are just mostly tall. That story of that fishbowl is just one of many great stories along the way. On a June, hot June night in 2022, June 8th to be exact, there were a couple dozen people milling around outside the fishbowl and the little patio there at the lumber yard and dads had kids on their shoulders and a few people were clutching their favorite album, hoping to catch a glimpse of one of America's most famous songwriters. And it was thrown together quickly to fit the famous couple's schedule. And what they were doing was speaking for three hours, telling stories and laughing with host Todd Crusham and Ben Hotchkiss. And at one point, this songwriter, part-time Wimberley resident reaches over and grabs the old Martin guitar that sits in the corner of the fishbowl and suddenly Paul Simon is singing 
me and Julio down by the schoolyard from the fishbowl of Wimberley Valley Radio. Sounds impossible, right? Wimberley is a place where impossible becomes possible. Uh, Susan, thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you for pleasure, inviting me. Pleasure to have you here. So you performed the song Wide Open Spaces, which was made popular by the Dixie Chicks, who are now called the Chicks. Mm. So can you tell me the story about how your mom found the lyrics in the trash oh, can? Yeah. Oh, you know that story. I know everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, somebody in there told me. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> and how the, how the Chicks found yeah. that song after you, you completed it. I, absolutely. So I, I wrote that song when I went up to go to school in Missoula, Montana. I was going to go to forestry school. And I left and I came back from my first Christmas home. And I say this all the time, so I don't want it to sound rehearsed, but, you know, you go off for a semester and that's where you learn everything and you realize your parents can't tell you anything anymore. That's kind of what happened. I came home and uh, was, you know, mom was curious about what where I was so late the night before or whatever. And so I kind of got frustrated and I furiously scribbled these lyrics down. I was kind of going to school and I was kind of writing songs, not very, like, dedicated to either one of those. So I left and went back up to school, and then a couple weeks later, I got a care package in the mail, and it was a box of stuff that I'd left at home in Amarillo, Texas. She mailed it up to Missoula, Montana, and it had this notebook in it that had these lyrics in it. So I put some music to it, played it for a while, uh, because I wasn't... I was only kind of going to school. <laughs> um, I, when, uh, uh, when my sister was going to have her first baby, I quit school and moved back down to Amarillo to nanny for her, kind of cover the gap between her maternity leave and her uh, summer vacation. And that's when I started singing with the band called The Groovies, and we were kind of an alt-country American band. So they knew of this guy named Lloyd Maines in Lubbock, Texas. We were based out of Amarillo, and he was producing records, and he was producing the kind of records that we wanted to make. So the two guys in the band, Scott Malott and Mike Dever, sent a demo that had wide open spaces on it. Unbeknownst to us, <laughs> this was right when Natalie, the chicks, had decided that they were going to kind of get away from that kitschy country bluegrass stuff and go a little bit more mainstream pop country so they were looking for a new lead singer and new songs and Lloyd had worked with the Dixie Chicks before and so he said you know my daughter's a singer you should let her audition and Natalie auditioned and they loved it and they sounded good and so she started singing with the band but and so then they got signed on to their developmental deal I'm not sure the timing on some of this stuff but it all kind of happened at the same time. Lloyd heard that song, gave it to both of his daughters, and when I've heard him tell this story, more as a dad than as a producer, right? Because that's kind of a daddy-daughter verse in that end of that song. And so um, they started performing it before they had their record deal all the way done, I think. And then when they were choosing songs for their first album, that was one that they'd already been performing live. So they brought that one to the table when they were, you know, as the artist. And so, um, really lucky, really just lightning strike luck there, you know, to kind of hit that timing and, and get it to those girls from their dad. I mean, if you're not listening to your dad about this kind of stuff. <laughs>
<laughs> my my dad from then on, my dad worked for the railroad forever. But from then on, all the live thought, long day problem. All the live long day, exactly right, Marvin. Uh, uh, and so then he thought, well, if it worked for Lloyd Maines, I guess I'll give my daughter some advice on the music business. So no, I'm just kidding. That's okay. But um, anyway, so they they played the song and it went back and forth between when it was going to get on, if it was going to get on the record, or and then it was going to be a single. And no, it's not going on the record. And then finally, the record came out and it was the title track. So that was a big, big that's a big deal. Feather in my hat. So what did you think when you heard it on the radio the first time? I it blew my mind. It was one of those things, and I'll do this today with like local radio with some of my own stuff. I'm like, God, that sounds so familiar, you know. And then I'll listen. I'll be like, oh, that's the chick singing Wide Open Wizard. So the first time I heard it was when I was out in California when they were up for a bunch of uh, uh, Grammys, and so that was the first time I heard it like in the wild on the radio. Um, and and it was a, it was a kind of a, a weird, surreal uh, feeling. But you know what? I had heard this, them do the song a lot, and I had heard the recording a lot. And of course, I bought a couple of those records. So um, you know, hearing it for the first time ever was a trip. You know, it was a trip because I could still see my handwriting on the page, and and I'd never had anything like that happen before. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really cool. And and for someone that was just kind of writing songs, not bad. You know, not a bad start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been all downhill from there. <laughs> but the hill was really high. The hill was high. I got a lot of momentum out of that hill. Yeah. Well, Susan, yeah. thank you for for joining us. Just, Thanks for inviting I, me. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. I did see they're such a great band. They're good. You just you just can't <laughs> not have fun. Can't not join it's them. like showing up in a Cadillac, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. All right, I'm here now with Michael Hearn, and he's the lead singer for the band South by Southwest, who's here at the Wembley Story Fest this weekend. We just heard a set from his band and and some of his friends, and, and it was really enjoyable, and the crowd really participated. It was, it was a fun time. So let me ask you about your life in music and the band, and you all seem to have sort of a long-time um, working relationship and friendship. But tell me a little bit about that. Um, you know, when I was a kid, man, I, I, I used to beat on a tennis racket to the radio, you know, with my fingers till my fingers bled. Learned how to play guitar after my grandmother got me some guitar lessons and, and uh, started writing songs at, at 15, 16 years old. And, and went on to uh, play in some bands around Austin in that area. And then I ended up moving to Taos, New Mexico, which is where I've lived for the last, the better part of the last 40 years. And I started a music festival there 21 years ago. And, uh, and it's uh, grown into one of the premier music festivals in the United States. And me and my band Southwest by Southwest uh, play there. And uh, we uh, have bands from all over the country. We had a Sleep at the Wheel play last year, and Michael Martin Murphy and Susie Boggus. It was uh, great. We're, and we're expanding. We're going to do another barn dance in Bryan, Texas in May, May 3rd and 4th uh, in Bryan, Texas. 
we're just going to take our setup that we do in Taos. We got a big giant tent and two big dance floors, and people come to listen and uh, and dance as well. And uh, so that's the big barn dance, and that's going to be happening in Bryan, Texas, May third and fourth. And then the barn dance in Taos is the weekend after Labor Day every year. Okay, tell me a little bit about um, your friendship with their, your bandmates. Oh my gosh! Well, the first time I ever uh, played with Jimmy Stadler, the guy playing keyboards and mandolin and whatever he can get his hands on, I was hired to play at a bar mitzvah, and uh, I knew that Jimmy knew Hava Nagila, so <laughs> I asked him if he would if he would join me uh, in, uh, in in doing this bar mitzvah, and he did, and we did that one gig, and we've been playing together ever since. When, when was that? Oh my God, that was probably. Uh, 1990, something like that. Okay. Long time ago. And then Carmen, the steel guitar player, and I have been playing together forever and ever. We joined uh, after we both left Michael Martin Murphy's band. We played with Michael Martin Murphy, who had a big song called Wildfire. You probably remember that song. And uh, we played with him for several years. And then we, we, we kind of branched off and formed our own band, which was South by Southwest. And we've been doing it ever since. Don Richmond um, is, is, used to come here South by Southwest and we just known each other forever and ever and ever and ever and we all just love and respect each other so much it's such a great band and, and we, we love playing music together we actually had a heck of a lot of fun when we <laughs> it, it certainly looks like it up there on the stage yeah, I, absolutely. I, I enjoyed watching so tell me um, how you ended up here today and and how much you enjoyed um, being at the Wimberley Story Fest? Well, I was talking to uh, my friend Don Minnick, and he, he kind of came up with the idea of having my band play here, and he told me about the Story Fest and about what all was going on in the, the Broken Spoke movie that they're, they're showing uh, tomorrow night and the storytelling and uh, and then, you know, all the other stuff that's going on with this. And I thought it was a great idea. And this, this place, this Pioneer Town, is such a great setting for, for this, you know. The old Opry House, you know, it, it served a purpose tonight, you know. There was some, some good music flowing around that room from all the bands. Absolutely. It was, again, it was so much fun. I, I hope to hope you come back again, and hopefully I'm here to, to enjoy it again. Thank you so much. So really thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. for being here. Nice to meet you. All right. highlight of the Friday night portion of the Wimberley Story Fest was the screening of the film Honky Tonk Heaven, Legend of the Broken Spoke, which is on an iconic dance hall in South Austin. Brenda Mitchell, the documentary's producer and director, answered questions from the audience after the showing of the film regarding the process of filmmaking. I then asked her about her stated goal to have the Broken Spoke designated as a state historical landmark so it wouldn't be torn down amidst the rapid growth in the city. Here's what she had to say. During the question and answer, you mentioned about the uh, designation that the Broken Spoke received from the state that will hopefully preserve it. Can you tell us those details? Uh, well, I learned um, while we were making the film, I kept saying, why can't we get a, a Texas landmark and protect this place? And I learned then from Donna Marie Miller that actually pursued uh, getting that um, a patron of a, of a 
of a store, dance hall, whatever, had to actually uh, not be alive to be able to get the, the designation, which I thought was really, really weird. Um, unfortunately, Mr. White passed, and then Donna went to work to get the... But the city of Austin, the city council was all for it. You know, they uh, they did this big proclamation first, and then after that, they uh, worked together to get a state historic landmark. So it's on the building now. That's great. So thank you for the, all the hard work you put into this film. It was really well done. I, I appreciated the storyline. It was very well written. I always, whether it's records or movies, my mind works in, in words and stories. So that's what really jumped out to me, and I, I enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you, Malcolm, for what you're doing. It's so important. After three weeks, everybody was dirty, we were tired, and we were scared because we were very much alone there on the border. The last night we were there, we put out the normal procedure, listening post about 50 yards out from the central ring of the company. There'd be two guys in each of the four directions and they would report in on the hour. At about 10 o'clock, one of them said, we've got movement. It it looks like a lot of movement. And then another one said the same thing. And then they start saying, we can't talk anymore. They're too close. And so what you would do is you'd, you'd hit the squelch button on the radio and you would answer yes or no. One is yes, two is no. They said, are, are they still there? And they just went, click. They'd be yes. Are there a lot of them? Yes. Well, we who were inside the perimeter, of course, we were getting scared too. There are just about 100 of us in the company at that time. And now you have the rumor or the idea, and your mind is going crazy with what's really out there. But hundreds of soldiers are going by and these are the enemy. They could easily overrun us, so everybody's wide awake, everybody's tense, and of course, we're all tired, alone, frightened. And it was then that uh, my Puerto Rican friend from, uh, his name was Rodriguez, he looks up at me and he says, Sergeant Denham, better days are coming. Better days are coming. And I thought, you're nuts. We're all going to be dead here in a few minutes. The night went on. No shots were fired. About an hour later, he said the same thing again. Better days are coming. Better days are coming. Slowly the night went by. No shots were fired. They didn't try to attack us, and we sure didn't try to attack them. We pulled the LPs in as the sun was coming up. We could see the tracks where hundreds of soldiers had gone by. And then the word came down, we're pulling out. About two miles away, there are going to be some helicopters picking us up. There's an LZ waiting for us. Get ready. Let's go. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in the military, but stragglers are often a problem. That morning, there were no stragglers. We were all but running to get out of there. Soon, we were back in a huge base camp. had barbed wire all around it, and we had hot food and hot showers and cold beer and the mail. It was great. I didn't really remember too much about that night or think of it very often until about 10 years later. 
I was in Austin, Texas at the time. My personal life was falling apart, the middle of a divorce. My professional career was crumbling as well. Uh, it was a dark time and I was having dark thoughts. And in the middle of that, I remembered that night in Vietnam in which everything was falling apart. Everything looked like it was all over and yet it wasn't. And I remembered my Puerto Rican friend's words, better days are coming. And I took a lot of hope out of that and encouragement. And then, in a matter of time, things did get better. So I would simply say to you today, if you find yourself in a dark place, having dark thoughts, perhaps you will remember my Puerto Rican friend's prophetic words. Better days are coming. Better days are coming. Better days are coming. Thank you. And before we leave, I want to tell you the same thing I tell my audience every week at the end of my show. Don't forget to shine some light wherever you go. Thank you for having us here today. Let's give these great storytellers a round of applause. was another edition of Real Life and Other Fantasies with your host, Melvin E. Edwards. Join us again next time for more stories about more things than you can imagine. Some of those true stories may even be about real life. See you next time.